It's Friday, December 18th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Hoynes, we had a chance to sit with Terry Francona via Zoom. Uh, he was out in uh, maybe not so sunny uh, Arizona, but uh, it was about 66 degrees where he was. Still better than looking out the window here and seeing snow, but uh, Tito looked like he was uh, in good spirits, feeling good, uh, feeling good about himself, and uh, he, he sort of faced the music there for about a half hour, answering questions uh, on, a, on a wide range of topics. What really jumped out to you uh, as far as what, uh, what Tito had to offer uh, all of us uh, in today's press conference? Yeah, a couple things, Joe. I thought uh, he was pretty forthcoming about, uh, you know, the possible, you know, the possibility, I, I guess, probably I should use a stronger word of uh, trading uh, Francisco Lindor. Uh, just uh, talking about the challenges they face um, as an organization, uh, payroll wise. And, uh, you know, he, he obviously said he loves Lindor, but there's challenges we have to face. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to attack those challenges. And, uh, you know, he's, he has trust in uh, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff to, uh, you know, kind of lead the way on this. And I, I guess left on set is to, is to make the right deal. You know, so I just got a real strong impression that this is going to happen. Right. And, you know, sort of the the overarching, uh, you know, idea is that really they don't know right now. He, he, he mentioned the slow moving winter and the, uh, the prospects that that's not just here, here in Cleveland, that's everywhere. But, uh, you know, that really sort of has has something to do with why he can't really be committal one way or another, uh, you know, on this. It's, it's because not only do, do the Indians not know what's going on uh, as far as their team goes heading into spring training, heading into the regular season, but most teams right now don't either. Yeah. And uh, another thing that jumped out is just, you know, how wide open this team is first base, second base shortstop if Lindor's gone. And uh, you know, I thought uh, it was interesting to hear him say uh, he was asked about Bobby Bradley getting a shot at first base. He, he, you know, kind of welcomed that he's, you know, said Bradley, you know, they're excited about him getting a chance along with some other people. And Yu Chang at second base, or, well, you didn't really say second base for Yu Chang, but obviously, well, I think he did. Yeah, he said. Yeah, it was, it was when he was asked about second base yeah. is when he immediately jumped to Chang. And that's the second time that we've talked to him in this offseason where he's brought Chang up immediately when, when asked about, uh, you know, re replacements in the infield. Uh, this time, it really does look like Yu Chang is going to get uh, a shot to to win a job there on the infield this year. Yeah, you know, he had that great uh, summer camp. Um, you know, he hit a bunch of home runs. He drove the ball. He, you know, I, I still don't know about him as a defender. You know, I still think he needs work there wherever you play him on the infield. But uh, he's certainly big enough and he's got some pop and they're going to need that. Uh, so it sounds like, uh, you know, maybe they said, uh, you know, with Bobby Bradley and, and Chang, they're in a different spot than when, when they uh, kind of, you know, gave uh, Jesus Aguilar the, ch the, sh the cold shoulder and let him, uh, you know, walk away. And he's turned into, you know, not Babe Ruth, but he's a power hitter. You know, he's, right. he's a middle of the order hitter that they could have used right now. Right. He's, he's a major league bat. Uh, yeah, that's interesting that, that he brought up Jesus Aguilar uh, and in that sort of part of the conversation uh he he his quote was he says uh we'd like to give them uh some everyday at bats and see where that takes them there's uh there's a lot in there he says he thinks 
the, the worst thing you can do is not find out as, a, as an organization. I think that's a lesson that they learned from yeah. Jesus Aguilar. That's a great point, Joe. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, so uh, we'll see what happens. And, you know, the, the override and another thing that kind of jumped out of me, uh, Terry Pluto asked him about a rebuild. And he really didn't, you know, you know, when Chris Antonetti was asked that earlier in the offseason, you know, he kind of just said, there's no way we're not rebuilding. I get that. I get asked that every year and uh, we're, we're going to win as many games as we can, you know, and, and try to contend and all that. But, you know, Tito was saying, you know, you know, if we have to change our philosophy a little bit, if we have to, uh, you know, develop more players at the major league level, uh, you know, so be it. But, you know, the goal will, will never change. Our, our goal is to win every day. So, you know, that sounds like they may be taking a, a bit of a step back here in, in 2021. Right. That's uh, that's going to go to the idea of managing expectations in uh, in 2021, particularly if Lindor uh, is not there. Uh, you asked him uh, how he was feeling, and, and re really we got sort of a, a, a positive report there. It sounds like, uh, you know, there's a, a good, strong chance that, that maybe Tito is, is able to manage the whole season uh, health-wise. Yeah, you know, that was encouraging. And uh, he was asked later in the interview, you know, why, you know, why, you know, why put yourself into this position with your health problems? You know, you, if you, uh, you know, you could probably be managing a bigger market team where you wouldn't have to be undergoing all these uh, cuts and budget cuts and watching your best players walk away every, every, after every season. And he said, you know, I think, you know, Tito's been through the big market, you know, he went to, he went to Boston, he won two world series. He knows what that's like. And that, that pressure and that grind and uh, you know, and I think he just feels comfortable here. He knows no one's going to be stabbing him, stabbing him in the back. He feels uh, you know, like he's protected. He, he has a say at, at the front, you know, at the table with the front office, he's well-respected. And I think, and he said, you know, he said he came right out and said, hey, uh, to Antonetti and Chernoff that if I'm not healthy enough, you know, right now, I'm, I'm not going to come back. I, that's unfair to the team. And so far he's making, you know, he says he feels good. So we'll see how that goes. Looks like it. All right. He was asked about the, uh, the bullpen. Uh, a couple of questions there. Uh, asked if, uh, if he had landed on a closer yet. And he said, eh, December might not be the best time to to select a closer, and I can't can't argue with his logic there. I uh, was asked specifically about James Karinchak. Said uh, said how much there's there, there's a lot to like there. There's so much swing and miss with with the stuff that he brings. But uh, like a lot of young guys, he has he had his ups and downs this year. Uh, I, I think he gave us sort of a a window into the approach that they're going to have, and it's it's going to be to sort of develop bullpen guys internally because the, of the volatility of what a bullpen is, uh, you know, you've, you've got maybe a mix of guys there. Uh, he kept mentioning, you know, what Brian Shaw, Cody Allen were able to give them consistently on a, on a year to year basis for so long. And it just looks like developing something like that internally is, is the approach that he thinks uh, is going to be successful for this club. Yeah, I, I definitely. And, uh, you know, they do need some help in the pen. Uh, you know, that what right now you're probably looking at who, who, who in the back end, Joe, you've got uh, Karen check, maybe class a, if he, if he's healthy, if his arm holds up, 
uh, Whitgren. You know, those are kind of your three kind of building blocks back there. And Class A is, a, you know, a question mark. Well, so, uh, well, and then you're also looking at a guy like a Cam Hill who unexpectedly suffered an injury. So that's yeah. going to be a setback that they're going to have to deal with there if you were if you were relying on him to take one of those middle spots. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, from what I've heard, he's he's not going to be ready for the regular season when, whenever, I guess if the regular season starts on time, mm. we should mm. say, I mean, maybe if it gets moved back or whatever, you know, whatever COVID developments, uh, you know, what they do to the season will have to remain to be seen. But right now, if the season starts in April, he's not going to be ready. All right. All right. Well, the, uh, the 350,000 pound elephant in the room, uh, the, the question about the, the name change was brought up uh, rather early on. I think uh, um, Tito dealt with it, uh, you know, pretty expertly as we would expect him to. Uh, was asked about just his own personal feelings about, you know, having grown up around this team and it, having a father that played for the Indians, uh, you know, coming back and, and, and being a part of this team since 2013. Just what he felt uh, you know, it, it meant to him just sort of having to move on from the name and, and why uh, this was a, a positive thing that he's, he's really sort of advocated since back earlier in the season. Yeah, I think he said, you know, just because, you know, this doesn't change the history of the team. You know, the history stays the same. I mean, you can still have good feelings if you're a player or a fan, you know, about following the Indians and, uh, you know, no matter what they're what they're called, but at this at this juncture of, of where we are in 2020, he said it. You know, we we can't just keep doing what we've been doing. You know, he, he mentioned that if if we just kept going, you know, if if something worked, if we if we just kept going, you know, the status quo. You know, if if everybody followed that, Jackie Robinson would have never played in the big leagues. Right. So he just felt, you know, this it was time for a change. You know, it was no longer, you know, the, the correct thing to do to just, you know, you know, be called the Indians and and uh, go under that uh, under that name. Right. Uh, you know, a, a point that he would always bring up uh, when when asked about Chief Wahoo or the Cleveland Indians name in the past was that we're never he, his to, to quote him. We're not trying to be disrespectful to anybody. We're trying to be the opposite. We're trying to be respectful. Uh, he would always reiterate that, but then he went a step further uh, today and just said, look, it's not enough just to not be disrespectful. Uh, it, it's, you, we've got to do more and we've got to, you know, lead by our actions. Uh, the other point he, he sort of tried to make was that they're, they're really proud of their team uh, in, in the first place, but it's, it's, they're proud of the first name of the team, which is Cleveland. And he sort of wants that to be reflected by the players I thought that was an important point to make was that the, the Cleveland part of the Cleveland Indians is not going anywhere. Uh, and, and that's the part that the, you know, the fans and the, the city and, and, and really the players should, should be the most proud of. Yeah. I think Paul Dolan came out and said that, you know, in that letter to the uh, ticket holders, you know, th that's the part of the name that's not going to change that is going to remain the same. And that's the, you know, the part to cling to. And uh, I, I think he also, you know, kind of maybe tipped his hand that, that, you know, maybe sometime in 2021, the fans are going to get involved in some kind of name change, perhaps, or mm -hmm. maybe they'll have a, you know, 
they'll, they'll open it up to a vote by the fans or, you know, take fan suggestions. I mean, he didn't come right out and say that, but he kind of danced around the, that, that, that possibility. Yeah. The quote from Tito was, and maybe in the next year or so, the fans and people can have some fun with something moving forward. Uh, I just don't ever want it to get lost. Not that we're trying to be disrespectful to anybody. Believe me, we're trying to be the opposite. We're trying to be respectful. So uh, that that's the line right there that you you sort of point to and say, well, maybe in the next year or so that that uh, you know something maybe the fans can have a little fun with uh, the, the the selection process or be involved in some way. So so there, uh, that's that that's Terry Francona's uh, you know opportunity to to sort of sit down with the the winner in the winter meetings. He was also asked about uh, Jose Ramirez, uh, whether or not he thinks Jose Ramirez gets the respect he deserves nationally. Uh, what'd you make of his response to that? Yeah, I, that was a head scratcher of a question. That that was a hoinsy question usually. <laughs> usually I would ask those kind of questions. <laughs> this is a guy that's finished second or third in the MVP in four of the, four three of the last, four last year. Three yeah, three. the last four years. So I mean how 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 much how ignored could you could one guy be? Right. Uh, he was asked about uh, the impact or the loss of Carlos Santana. Uh, and he said, uh, as you would expect him to say, he, he praised Santana for everything he's done for the club and, and the kind of person he is. And he just says, uh, you know, 19 opportunities next year. We hope that uh, uh, Santana doesn't beat us. Yeah, and I was surprised to hear him say that's a big loss for us, a big, a huge loss for us as a club. That was, mm-hmm. that was uh, kind of revealing right there. Right. Well, who's, who, who steps up and, and kisses Francona's bald head before every game now? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't takes know. that or does, does he even want Jose Ramirez yeah, he, kissing his bald yeah, head? He probably doesn't want it. That's uh, and, and and honestly, how does that work out? You know, Jose is significantly shorter than you know. I, yeah, I don't know. yeah. It's just yeah. It would uh, uh, really make for for an interesting sort of situation. Uh, he was also asked his thoughts on uh, you know baseball being boring and uh, the idea of uh, not enough balls are being put in play. Should the should the game be legislated and uh, outlaw shifts so that uh, more offense could happen, more base running, more action? Uh, Terry Francona gave his uh, sort of boilerplate uh, response to that, saying that he'd like to see the players sort of make the adjustment as opposed to the league legislating it. Yeah, Terry, uh, Terry's been saying that ever since I think he's, he started managing here. You know, he wants players, he, he would – you know, you would think by now somebody would come up and start hitting every the ball the other way or using all the fields. You know, we don't we haven't seen young young players come up that way, at least not in the Indians uh, system where they you know where they they use the whole field where you know they 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 uh, you know take the shift and uh, beat the shift. They we, so uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but you know I know uh, in the past uh, Francona has been against you know, uh, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred suggesting that maybe this, this, the shift should be, you know, let, taken out of the game or, or limited in some way. Uh, but, uh, but he wants to, he thinks the game is going to change organically and that might take 50 years. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that is, that, that's a slow burn if that happens. Well, and, and just the, the point being, you know, in the NBA, they outlawed zone defenses, you know, and the NBA survived. Uh, in, in, you know, in pro football, they've, they've done things to limit the, um, uh, what, what a defensive back can do to a receiver. 
you know, those kinds of things. It, the game survives and it, it's in other sports, the, the, the rules aren't treated as these, these sacrosanct, holy sort of things that you, you can't mess with. Uh, if it's a, if it's a good thing for the sport, if it's a good thing for your product, why wouldn't you make that change? Why wouldn't you do something? You know, maybe you just tell the infielders, they all have to stay on the dirt. Maybe you do something like that. You yeah. Know, you could put four on one side of the infield if you want, but they all have to be, you know, feet in the dirt first as, as the pitch is released. Yeah, uh, I, think, hey, Joe, I think we're seeing some of that change too. You know, people like the, uh, the extra inning rule, you know, mm -hmm. the man on second base, you know, I heard people talking to you know, managers uh, uh, have said, you know, that they're in favor of the seven inning uh, double headers. I mean, maybe, you know, and uh, I would, I thought I'd never hear that, but you know, there people are concerned about, you know, pitchers uh, getting, you know, worn out, especially after only throwing, you know, the 60 game sprint last year, not being built up to do that and ways of protecting uh, pitchers. So maybe, maybe we are seeing a little bit of a shift here. Yeah, well, it's uh yeah. Rob, Rob, Man Rob Manfred, the, uh, the, the revolutionary spearheading all this change. I don't know. Hey, uh, one more thing from the, the Francona um, uh, interview. Uh, you asked him about a video of Fran Mil Reyes surfacing, uh, playing first base. And I thought it was going to be treated as a joke. I thought it was going to be you know, <laughs> chuckled and, and laughed and, and whatnot. I, I would have almost expected it to have been accompanied with, uh, you know, a, a wink and a nod or whatever, but Tito looked like he was serious about talking to, to Fran Mill about, Hey, you know, if you want to do this, if you work hard at it, if you, if you put in the work, then, you know, it's great. Hey, we'd love to be able to have that flexibility, but uh, maybe that's just Tito's way of being, you know, political and polite and saying, we're going to talk to Fran Mill about it and, and show him <laughs> the amount of work that you have to put into it in order right. to make something that's uh that's viable. And maybe that will, uh, you know, get him to, to focus his attentions elsewhere. Yeah. Cause that brief clip we saw was, I don't know, Joe, that was a little frightening to me. So but, well, Anton, hey. Anton, Antonetti said he, he thinks that Framen wants to play second base, which is <laughs> even more ridiculous. So 280 pound second baseman, six foot five second baseman. Yeah. I think can he turned it. Can he make the pivot? <laughs> no, he ain't going to pivot. He's just going to stand there at the bag and let the, let the base runner glance off of him. That's, uh, that's the case. Uh, all right. Uh, really quickly, a couple other topics that we want to uh, mention before we get going. Um, the uh, news broke earlier this week about Omar Vizquel and uh, domestic violence uh, allegations uh, from his estranged wife uh, in Venezuela. Uh, this comes at a, a really sort of awkward time as Vizquel is uh, one of the, uh, you know, candidates for the, the Hall of Fame uh, vote, obviously. Uh, one story really shouldn't have anything to do with the other, but, uh, you know, the timing of it makes it so. Uh, what's your assessment of uh, the situation with Vizquel and, and how this sort of uh, is, is being dealt with by his camp? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I'm surprised by it. You know, uh, I, I shouldn't say surprised. I don't know. You know, sometimes it just goes to show you, Joe, that, you know, I've known Omar for years and you know, you know the ball player, but you don't know the person when he's away from the field. And I'm not accusing him of anything, but this is, you know, obviously it was a, they had a, a rocky uh, relationship. Uh, 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 his wife, Blanca, says this started in 2011 before they 
before they were even married. Uh, so, you know, who knows? This will come out. I mean, I know uh, the, the Athletic did a long, long story. You know, it said Omar was arrested at one point. Uh, in, when they're living in Seattle in two, 2016, or a Seattle suburb, uh, they, you know, Omar came out with another, you know, uh, you know, kind of came out with his own statement, said he's never been violent towards his wife or hit her. Uh, so we'll have to see how that works out. But like you said, it's all playing out against the, uh, you know, and spousal abuse is not is always a serious problem. And I mean, it's serious. It's something to be taken seriously, never to be making light, made light of. And uh, hopefully they get this settled and uh, can go their separate ways and peace, uh, you know, can come, you know, peace, they, they're, a peaceful solution is found. But the fact is it's playing out in the backdrop of him being his fourth year of eligibility in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and he's he was poised to make a great, great jump, I thought, in, in the vote total, because there's really nobody, you know, there's no headliner coming in from the new class. Right, right. He's got, he's got, he's sitting at around 50% of the vote. I thought he was in great shape. And this, uh, this will probably affect the vote, I would think. You know, yeah, the, the yeah. thing is, uh, a lot of people have already voted. A lot of the Hall of Fame voters have probably already voted. The ballots have to be cast by the end of December. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that's end of December. So, so any voters who were sort of holding on to their ballot for whatever reason until, you know, the last moment to, to mail them, uh, it, it might affect their votes. But uh, I, I have seen some some polls on, on MLB Network where he's tracking uh, at just below where he was this time last year, about 49 percent. So who knows, this this might have had it had some sort of influence. Uh, and, you know, there it, it's two separate, com completely separate issues, like you said. And we don't want to conflate uh, domestic abuse with, you know, baseball and anything, anything like that. It, it's a very serious issue. But uh, as you know, from our, our perspective, we cover the Indians, we cover, uh, you know, Cleveland baseball and Omar's a, a part of that. And, you know, obviously we want to see, you know, our guy get in the Hall of Fame, but uh, there are serious questions to be sorted out before uh, we sort of, you know, jump to anything, uh, you know, right now. Uh, the other big news of the week, uh, the Negro Leagues are, are being uh, sort of included in Major League Baseball now. Uh, MLB comes out with the announcement earlier this week that uh, the seven uh, officially recognized Negro Leagues and uh, players and all the stats uh, that, that were uh, sort of accumulated at those times are, are being, uh, you know, taken in, will be considered Major League uh, Baseball. Mm -hmm. It's a, something that uh, since about the, the late 60s uh, that, um, you know, was, was up for debate and it really shouldn't have been. This is a, a long time in coming that, that uh, Negro League players like Larry Doby, uh, Satchel Paige will, will officially be recognized as major leaguers. Yeah, and uh, there's like 3,400 3, players involved in this, an estimated, Joe. Uh, the, uh, the Negro League statistics from 1920 through 1948. I mean, it's a huge undertaking. I don't know how, you know, how, the, how they're going to meld these stats uh, from the Negro Leagues to, to, uh, to, to the big league stats, how this is going to take place or how long it's going to take. I would think it's going to take at least a year, maybe more. And uh, you've got a, the problem with the Negro League stats is, you know, they were so scattered and there was no really official, you know, record book there were official record books toward the end of the 40s, 
but uh, you know they, they were they weren't complete. So you know, and there's been you know really dedicated saber researchers that have done this that have been working on this for 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, the, the website Seamhead's website has a you know really an impressive Negro League data database, uh, and that's what MLB is going to lean on to. Uh, to, uh, you know, absorb these statistics. Right. And it's, it's sort of uh, it, it, part of this whole uh, movement towards social justice and this, this national reckoning that we've had uh, sort of is the, the, the opportunity to, to give voices to underserved groups and underserved, uh, you know, segments of the population. And that's exactly what's happening here. You're, you're recognizing this legitimate work that these guys did. Uh, it, it's, it's a huge undertaking to, to do something like this, but uh, it, it's, it's definitely something that was, all this was really sparked by uh, uh, George Floyd's death back, uh, back in May uh, in, in Minneapolis. And, you know, it's, uh, we've, we've moved to the point where now we're, we're sort of recognizing that things like this are, are long overdue. And it's, uh, we're, I guess, baseball is going to be, uh, you know, way better off for this. Yeah, it's, um, you know, like from tragedy comes something, you know, really exciting. Yeah. This. You know, and if you're a baseball nerd, if you're a numbers <laughs> puncher, if, if you're one of those guys that wondered what, you know, would have given, would have paid anything to see a Negro League game, would have paid anything to see Satchel Paige pitch to Josh Gibson or something like that. I mean, you can, I mean, it's really, it's a cool thing, but it's a daunting task. Right tracking down all of Josh Gibson's 800 home runs, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think he's only going to be at about like 230 or something like that, which seems way, way short of where he should be. But, uh, you know, the, all the stories you hear about Josh Gibson hitting, you know, 900 foot home runs and hitting, you know, 800 home runs in a, yeah, but, you know, again, uh, just, just real exciting to see all that come in. All right. Uh, we are going to uh, wrap it up for today's podcast. Uh, heading into next week, we'll have plenty more to talk about in terms of uh, the name change and uh, developments, hopefully, in the Lindor trade front. And we'll keep an eye on all that uh, as we head forward on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsey, good to talk to you. And uh, if we don't get a chance to, to make a connection early next week, uh, happy holidays. Hey, same to you, Joe. Same to you, buddy. 